Hey, it's me again. Um, so, three times, kind of just like, hey, hey guys, I can only say good morning so many times. So, <laughs> um, very excited, excited that John's not here this week. It's great. Uh, not because he's gone, but because I get to speak, I get to be up here. I'm excited to be a little bit of both. I mean, John's been gone for a while. It's kind of nice, but uh, me and John pick on each other back and forth all the time. But I, I do love working with him. I do. Love being here at Rush Church. I've been here for almost two and a half years now, and sometimes it doesn't feel that long. Sometimes it feels longer. It's been a weird two and a half years for not just me, but everybody, I guess. And, and so just excited I get to be up here this morning to get to share with you what's been on my heart and what I have this morning. Um, usually I'm up in the sound booth uh, doing sound and running slides and stuff, or I'm teaching uh, teenagers back in the classroom. But today I'm out here with you guys, and so it's kind of exciting for me to see you guys and... Um, just uh, tell you what's been going on on my, on my heart and what God has wanted me to, to tell you this morning. Picking a sermon title was uh, pretty hard this time. Figuring out what I was going to talk about was pretty hard this time. I uh, had lots of ideas. I had lots of things I wanted to say. So my desk has been full of like notes and sermon titles and ideas. And this is what I came to. This is what I, this is what I put together today. And it's called Restored. Uh, Stories of God's Love. And I love to tell stories. I love how the Bible uses stories. And we get to read these amazing stories of how God loves us in Scripture. And so this morning, just three of my favorite ones I thought I'd share. And in these stories, we see three different types of people and three, three different types of people that God loves anyway. That God says, you know what, I, I love you despite all these other things. And so maybe, have you ever thought about how God sees you? Have you thought about how God views you as a person? How does God see me in my life? Um, how does God see me when I make a mistake? How does God see me when I screw up big time? How does God see me when I get mad at him or when I you know, completely go the other way when he tells me to do something and I ignore God? How does he feel when I ignore him? How does he see, how does he see me? How does he feel about me in those situations? What are God's feelings towards me. How does he feel? You ever felt unworthy? You ever felt like you're not worthy? You ever felt undesirable? Undesirable is who would want who would want me around or, or who unworthy, undesirable, undeserving. I don't deserve these things. I don't deserve God to, to love me like this. These three things are kind of the stories that we're going to look at today. And maybe, maybe it's not the story for you. Maybe you're like, well, I don't really feel that way, like this person in this story. But I bet you know somebody who does. So when I'm telling these stories, maybe you're thinking about yourself. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're there. And maybe it's somebody else that you know, somebody that you have in your life. So as we go through these stories, I just want you to get into them um, and, and, and listen. And some of them you know, some of them you might not know. But I picked them out, three of my favorites. I believe that we can see ourselves in these stories or we can see somebody that we know in, the, in these stories. And so the first one we get into real quick is from the Old Testament. It's kind of a bizarre story. It's kind of a weird story. You're like, why is this in the Bible? Did God really say to do this? Did God really have this story happen, play out? And it's the story of somebody named Hosea and somebody named Gomer. And Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was a holy man, a man of God, one of the good guys. And God, he was God's messenger. God would give him a message and he would take it to the people. He was a prophet. 
And so he was one of the good guys. And so he, by this point, he's pretty well known. He's pretty famous in the land that he was in. And so God says, all right, it's time to get to work. And so God asks Hosea to do something. You never believe what God asked Hosea to do. Like I first read this story and I was like, why is this, this is a weird story to put in the Bible. Why did this actually happen? God, what's going on? And so in Hosea chapter 1, we see what God asked him to do. And up on the screen, it'll be uh, verse 2. And it says, When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. So some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. And then in verse 3, it says this. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dibli, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Diblium. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I like. You see this story in what is, what is going on? God, you're asking me to do what? Hosea Hosea's there, and God shows up. He's like, here's what our first task is, Hosea. She go marry Gomer. Go marry a prostitute. Go marry this, this woman who can't stay faithful to anything. And I want you to marry her and take her home and have a family with her. And Hosea was like, what was that, God? I, I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. I was, something happened. I thought you said go marry Gomer. That's funny. And God was like, Hosea, go marry Gomer. And he was like, oh, you're serious. That's what you did say. And he's like, okay, all right, I'll marry Gomer. I'll go marry this prostitute, this unfaithful woman that you want me to do. Because it's you, God. Just because it's you, I wouldn't do it for anybody else. But you asked me to do it. And so we see Hosea marries Gomer. And she becomes pregnant and has a son. And that's weird enough as it is to think of Hosea, a man of God, being called to do something like that. But that's not where I want to focus on my story. I want you to look at Gomer from her perspective, from Gomer's perspective. What does she feel through all this? What's going on in her mind? So as we go through these stories, I want you to put yourself in these people's shoes. Pretend you're this person. Pretend all of a sudden you're Gomer. You've had a rough past. You've done some things you're not proud of. You've had a rough life, prostitution life, going from place to place to place to person to person to person. So this morning you wake up and you go out, you're leaving another stranger's house and your head's hung low and you're like, this is, you know, this is normal. This is my life. You walk through the marketplace trying to avoid some people. You're like, I can't just keep my head low and try to go about my day. She feeling, you know, shame, regret, hopelessness, probably all these things she's felt her whole life, but that's her life, right? She just pushes them to the side and says, this is who I am. This is what I do. And so this is her. She's walking through the marketplace, and she hears somebody call her voice. Hey, Gomer, Gomer. And you turn, you're walking, you're like, here it's a man's voice, and you're like, ah. Oh. I just want to go home. I'm tired. You turn around, expecting to see one of your normal customers, one of your normal guys that you hang out with, and it's not buddy, somebody you recognize. You look up, and it's, I don't know this guy. Who's that? Is that Hosea? Is that, is that, isn't he a prophet? Isn't he a, a holy man, a man of God? Is he saying my name? And he comes up to you, and he says, hey, Gomer, I, I, I want to marry you. I want to take you home with me and make a family and take care of you and love you. What? Don't you know who I, you know, you know what I do? You know where I've been? 
You know where I was last night? You know what kind of person I am, Hosea? You don't want me. And Hosea goes, I do want you. I want to give you a wife. I want to marry you. I want to take you home. I'm going to love you. And so Gomer goes with him, and she says, okay, you're a crazy person, but let's, okay, if you want to marry me, let's do it. And so Gomer marries Hosea, and they have a family, and they have kids, and the whole time, what do you think Gomer's thinking? What's, what's on her mind? She's probably like, why? I don't deserve any of this stuff. I've never done anything in my life to earn a, 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 good, <laughs> a good family and a, a good man to take care of me. And why does he love me so much? Why does he care about me so much? And so we see Gomer in this life and something in her just draws her back. She goes back into, into prostitution. She goes back to the old life. She's in and out of the house all the time. Hosea doesn't know where she's at sometimes. She shows up once in a while. And if you're Gomer, you're like, I can't be around here. I don't deserve any of this. I don't even know if any of these kids are Hosea's kids. Who knows? I don't deserve any of these good things. And so one day she leaves and she doesn't come back. She leaves and she goes back to her old life. She goes back to, back to where she was before. She thinks she deserves it, I think. She's like, I don't deserve this good stuff. So she goes back and, and this time her old life catches up to her. She finds herself in slavery. She's owned now. She's on the auction block. She's in a bad place. She's, she's trying to pay off debts that she owes to people. And she finds herself in this bad place. And, and she's like, you know, this is, this is my life. Who cares? No one cares about me. Uh, this is just it. Hopeless. Dark place. You see in Hosea chapter 3 what happens next. So, Hosea, yeah, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, he's talking to Hosea, Hosea's writing this, and he's like, the Lord told Hosea, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and to love to worship them. This whole story is about how much God loves his people, even though they do stupid things sometimes. They turn their back on God, they go do their own thing, but God's like, this will demonstrate that I still love my people. And he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, it says this, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Hosea chased down Gomer and bought her back. And if you're back in Gomer's shoes, all of a sudden you're back, you're Gomer now. You're Gomer again. You're, you're chained up. You're naked. You're in, in, in the slave industry. And you're, you're in this dark spot. Hopeless. All these feelings going through you. You know, I don't deserve that. What Hosea tried to give me, I don't deserve that at all. I'm just this person. It's who I am. And you look up. And you see somebody come in, and you think you see Jose. You think it's Jose, and you're like, no, he would never come here. He would never come this far to, to find me. Sure enough, Jose walks to the door, and he, they're having a, he's having a conversation with the person that now owns his wife, Gomer. And he goes, you know, that's Gomer. That's my wife. Uh, I'm gonna bring her, I want to bring her home with me. I want to take her back home. And the guy says what no she's she, I don't care who you says who you say she is she's mine now I, she belongs to me if you want her back you're gonna have to buy her like everybody else this is the price and Gomer hears this conversation happening down the way a little bit and she's like oh, he's never gonna buy me back why would he buy me why would he purchase me back why would he why is he even here and then you look up and you see Hosea shaking the man's hand. The deal has been struck and he bought her back. 
bought his wife back. He didn't have to. <laughs> and you're Gomer, you're like, I can't believe what's happening in front of me. Hosea chased me down. He found me in this dark place, in a place that he shouldn't even be around these people. He's a man of God. What's he doing? Chasing me down and even buying me back. You see the story, and I was like, why is this in the Bible? It's because God showing us how much he loves us. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you were, who you are now, what you're doing. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear that God will chase you down and find you, and he wants to rescue you, and he wants to buy you back. So God says, how much? How much to get you back? How much do I have to give to have a relationship with you? How much? How much does it cost? It costs the blood of your son. It costs Jesus going to a cross to be tortured and beat and whipped and mocked and made fun of. That's what the cost is. And God said what? Okay, I'll do it. I'll pay the price. I'll send Jesus to get you back. Wow, what kind of love is that? It doesn't make any sense. Even for the people that see God and they're like, God would never love me. God can never do anything with my life. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, just, I'm just undesirable. I'm not worth it. And God says, you are worth it. I sent Jesus to buy you back, to pay the price. Some people, maybe that's not you. Maybe you know that God loves you. But there's somebody in your life that feels this way. Somebody you know that you're around that says, ah, the whole Christian thing, the whole going to church thing, I can't, I can't, God would never love me like that. But he does. He bought you back at a price, a very high price, and he paid it just so that he could be with you, just so he could be with us. And, and, and so this whole idea of Gomer and this undesirable person, we've been there. You know somebody that's been there. But he'll pay, it. he'll pay the price to get you back. And I was reading this, this story, and I was like, you know, what does the word Gomer mean? Like, if I, like sometimes I'm studying stuff. I'm like, well, then maybe this person's has, name has, like, a significant meaning in Scripture. And I was like, that'd be cool if Gomer's name meant something really cool I could use in my sermon. I looked it up, and in Hebrew, Gomer means complete. And I was like, complete? That doesn't do anything. I, I can't use that. That doesn't help me at all. Oh, well, move on. And then later on, I was like, I wonder what Hosea means. So later on, I looked back, and I looked up Hosea's name, and it means salvation. And I was like, huh, salvation. Salvation complete. Our salvation is complete in Jesus. When he went to the cross, nothing, you don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to be, you know, desirable to God. We are desirable to God. He wants us. You don't have to add anything to Jesus. Something at times we try to be like, you have to have if you want to get to heaven, you want to be on God's good side, you have to have Jesus, and you have to go to church all the time. Jesus, and you don't have to cuss. No cussing. Jesus, and none of this. Jesus, and do this. No. Those are all good things. You know, some things you shouldn't do, some things are good. You can't add anything to it. Our salvation is fully complete. He paid a price so that you could be saved just by what Jesus did on the cross. You don't have to add anything to it. Don't even try to add anything to it. Just know that his love was enough. He loves you, and that's enough to bring you home. And this next story, story number two. So we looked at Hosea, and he restores Gomer. God's love is restored in this story. And this next story is in Luke 15. You've all probably heard it. It's the prodigal son story. And, you know, if you've been in church at all, you know about this story. But Jesus is telling this story, and I feel myself, uh, this is one that I connect to because, you know, I, I, I gave up on God at one point. I turned my back on him, did my own thing, and ran away. And in this story, we see 
Jesus telling us an illustration of why he hangs out with people that he does. He's telling people, he's like, you know, if they question him, they're like, why do you hang out with these sinners? Why do you hang out with these tax collectors? Why do you hang out with these scummy people over here, Jesus? Why do you do that? And Jesus is like, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story real quick. And it's about how God loves. And so the story goes, Jesus tells a story about a father, and he's got two sons, and they live on a big farm, and everybody's, you know, doing great. It's a good place. It's a good life. They got food. They got a place to live, and there's the farm and, and the family, and everything's good. And one of the sons one day is like, there's a guy, I don't know if I want to be on the farm anymore. It's kind of boring here. I have to do all these chores sometimes, and, uh, you know, I, I think there's something else out there that I, I want to do something I want to do. I want what I want, and I've heard stories from my friends about how they go off, and there's, there's other things out there that I want to try, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And so he gets the idea of this is not the place where he wants to be. And he goes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I want to go away from the farm. I'm tired of the stupid farm. I'm going to go somewhere else, and I need you to give me my inheritance right now. You know, whatever, whatever is mine after you're dead and gone, I'd like that right now, please. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off and go somewhere. And in the story, you expect, what do you expect? The dad to be like, no. <laughs> he laughs at him. You know, if I went to my dad in high school and I was like, dad, I don't like the farm anymore. I grew up on a small farm. And I, I'm tired of doing all this stuff. Can you give me my inheritance now so I can just leave and go do whatever I want? What would my dad do? Laugh at me. <laughs> you know, he'd be like, no, I'm the dad, you're the son. And, and plus, there's no inheritance. We don't have anything anyway, <laughs> you know? Well, what are you talking about? And, and, and so that's what you expect the father to do in the story. And be like, I'm the dad, you're the son, you do what I tell you to do. Not in Jesus' story. Not in this story. He says, the dad says, here you go. Here's your half and here's your half. And the one son's like, sweet, didn't think that was going to work, but it did. And all, here I go. He's off, out the door. Farms behind him, he goes out and does whatever he wants to do. He goes and parties, he has girls, he's got stuff, he's got things, he's got, you know, whatever he wants. He just goes and buys it, goes and does it. And he hangs out, and he's popular, everybody wants to be around him, because of course he's got money, and he's giving them stuff, and they're at the parties he's going to. It's great, it's awesome. He's like, this is perfect, this is what I wanted, to do whatever I want. You ever had like a, quick story, you ever had like a, uh, an idea or, or something you were going to do, and you're like, this is a really good idea. This is going to be great. It's going to be fun until it's not. So one time I was going skiing on a skiing trip real quick, and I was in seventh grade. I'd never been skiing before, snow skiing. And, uh, you know, I was like really excited. I was like, I'm going to go skiing. It's going to be great in the snow and down the mountain. And so we get on the bus, and we're going there, the perfect north um, ski slopes. And some of my friends have been skiing before. I had not been skiing before. I had no idea what I was doing. But I was excited. I was ready to go. And I was like, we got there. And this, the instructors or the people that, you know, at the resort were like, if you've never skied before, you need to come over here to these bunny hills and learn what to do with your skis and learn how to ski a little bit before you do anything crazy. And I was like, no, I don't have time for bunny hills. That sounds boring. I don't want to go over there. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I can figure it out on the fly. I can, I'm good. I can do it. So what do I do? I jumped on the ski slope, uh, the, the little thing that takes you up. I don't know what's that, what's that called. A lift. Thank you. Perfect. I got on the lift. <laughs> and uh, up, 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 up we go. We're going up the lift. And I'm like, yes, I'm so excited. I'm going to ski down this mountain. I am going to love this. Skiing's great, right? And I got to the top, and I looked down, and this huge hill is in front of me. I'm like, this is perfect. I am going to love this. So I get up there, and I got my poles and stuff and the skiing stuff. And 
I push off, and I'm down, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking off down the hill, and I'm flying, and I'm just like, this is great. And I look up, and the first hill I pick, there's this big curve in the first part of it, and then it comes back down to the lodge in the side, and I'm going, and all of a sudden, my idea of being skiing and having a fun time was ruined by the thought of, I don't know how to turn whatsoever. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to ski. And so what do I do? I just keep going straight, and I flew off into the woods, hit some trees, fell over. It really hurt. I was like, this is not good. And so I picked myself up, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to ski. This was a dumb idea. What was I thinking? And I looked down, like, there's the lodge. I can see the lodge. I'm like, I can get down to the lodge. It's going to be great. So I get back, get on my feet, and I push off. And it's an even bigger hill now. It's an even steeper hill. And I'm not like, I don't know how to ski, so I'm not like swooping side to side or anything. I'm just straight down this hill. I'm flying. It's, it's, uh, it was fun, and then I realized one more thing. Guess what I realize now? I don't know how to stop. No, not so ever. I know nothing about being on skis. So I see this. I see this lodge, and it's coming up quick, like the hill ends, and then there's a lodge. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is going to end badly. I'm either going to learn to stop, or I'm going to hit this lodge. First one wasn't happening. I don't know how to stop. So um, I was like, I can't hit the lodge. So I decided to just fall over to the side, fall off my skis, and then roll down the rest of the hill. And my skis pop off there in the side of the hill. My poles are gone. I have no idea. And like, I'm like laying there. I'm alive. I'm fine. I'm like, this is great. And then I have to get up and walk back up the hill and get my skis and my poles, and there are people flying around me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to ski. I'm sorry. It was a bad idea. I'm like, that was not the smartest idea, and I realized it while I was in the middle of it. This is not what was good for me. And in Luke 15, in the story of the farmer and his sons, the son finds out the hard way, you know, he's, he's there, and he's in this land, he's partying, and all of a sudden his money runs out. He doesn't have anything left. There's a famine over the land. There's no food, nothing for people to eat. And he's got nowhere to go, nothing to do. So he finds himself working for a pig farmer. And pigs are dirty animals. They were unclean in that time. So it was a job nobody wanted to do, but he had nowhere else to go. He had to go feed the pigs. And he's starving to death. He's so hungry. He's no, no food. He's got no money left. And he wants to eat the pig food. He's like, that looks pretty good. There's some garbage in there, some scraps and all that stuff, and the pig farmer's like, no, you don't touch the pig food. That's for the pigs. They need to get fat, and I need to sell them, and I need to make money off of them. So you don't get any of that either. He's like, this is terrible. And in 15, verse 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at my house, back home on the farm, even the workers, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. He realizes, you know, I can't keep doing this. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, both against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So we see this idea of I'm going back to the farm. I'm going back to where, you know, I know at least maybe I'll be taken care of. And he starts to write his speech, and he starts to write out the speech on his way home, the long journey home. He's like, what am I going to tell my dad? What am I going to tell my father when I see his face? How am I going to work my way back into being on the farm? How am I going to earn my way back? And he starts this speech. He's like, I'm not worthy of being called your son. And the word, it's an interesting thing that he uses there, worthy of being called your son. It would be like, I thought about, you know, if Timmy or Eden later on in life finally come to me one day at breakfast, and they're like, hey, Dad, I've decided I'm finally worthy of being your son, or I'm worthy of being your daughter today. And I'd be like, 
what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. You're, you're never worthy. That's not what it's about. I love you because you're mine. I love you because I want to be with you. I want to, I want to be there. And so this, this guy is talking about being worthy, and he gets back to the farm. Sometimes we do that with God, I think. We're like, God, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll work hard to get your love back. I'll do these things. I'll earn my way back into your good graces, God. I'm sorry I, I kind of screwed up a lot, but don't worry. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it. I'll do these and this and this and this. And then he finally gets home, and this is what happens. In Luke 17, or Luke 15, uh, sorry, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So he's starting his apology speech. He's like, Dad, I, I messed up. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have gone so far away. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have made that choice. And the dad's so happy to see him. He's hugging him. He's holding him. And you expect what next? You expect, yeah, the dad's happy. His son's alive. He gives him a hug. And then he sets back. And then you expect what? Here comes the speech. Here comes the anger. Here comes the slap in the back of the head. You dummy. What did you do? That was not very smart of you. What were you thinking? Where's my money, by the way? Oh, you spent all my money. It's gone? Well, of course it is. Of course my money's gone. You big screw-up. Look what you did. That's what we expect, right? That would make sense. Somebody messes up big time and does that something that dumb. And then this is what we see. In the next verse, it says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And we're going to go on to the next verse. And he killed the calf that had been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. My favorite part. So the party began. The party began. And you look at this story, and you're just like, What? What is happening? What is this? This story is going off the rails. Why isn't the father mad? Why isn't he, you know, judging him? Why isn't he telling him how big of a screw up he is? And he messed up and you should, yeah, you're lucky if I hire you back as a servant and work here. You're lucky if I do that. No, the dad cuts him off mid-speech. We saw him there. He's starting his speech. I'm sorry, dad. I didn't mean, I just, let me just tell you how, what I'll do. And dad's like not even paying attention to him. He's like, forget that. Let's get you some clothes, get a shower, jewelry, new clothes, kill the baby cow. We're going to have steaks. It's going to be great. We're going to party. He threw a party. It doesn't make any sense. Does it make any sense that Hosea would go after a wife that left him and his kids, that she abandoned them? Does it make any sense that the dad is throwing a party for the screw-up son? doesn't make any sense. It's God's love. It doesn't make sense. I've, I've, I've looked at God's love so much, and I'm like, it doesn't. why does God love us so much? Why does he keep coming back to us? Why does he keep chasing us down? I don't know. He loves us that much. He wants to be with us. He wants to hang out with us, and he wants to be with us. And in and, and this story, you know somebody like this. You know somebody who's been to church. They've been, they know God. They know who Jesus is. And, and they messed up somewhere along the way, and they either left church or they, they, they haven't come back or they, they're staying far away from God because what? They're afraid they're going to get the speech. They're afraid that they're not able to earn their way back into good graces with God. And this story shows that it's not about that at all. You don't have to 
work hard or earn your way back to God's love. We can never do that. You can never earn God's love. We mess up. We make mistakes. We screw up like the son in this story. And God's like, just come back to me. Just come back to me and let me hug you. Let me kiss on you. Let me throw you a party. I throw a party and I can imagine the sun's out there and, and they're just having this huge party on the farm. The whole farm's just partying and they're dancing. And I just picture the dance floor and the, this kid's dancing. He's like, yeah, party. Party for, for me. Why? Why? Why are they doing And it doesn't make any sense. And sometimes it doesn't. You just got to dance because the only thing you can dance about is that God still loves you. That God still wants you. That God... It's better to be with him than running away from him, than away from him. He says, let me just hold you. Let me just love on you. Let me just throw you a party. You can come back. You don't got to earn your way or, or work hard or anything like that. I love you because it's you. I love you because you're mine. And I bought you. The last story we'll look at today is a story about a guy named Peter in the New Testament. And Peter's life in the Gospels and in the Bible is a roller coaster ride, I tell you. Like, I look at Peter, I'm like, Peter did a lot, of, a lot of stuff. He said a lot of stuff. Peter, you know, sometimes he would talk without thinking first, and I do that a lot too sometimes. I was like, oh, Peter's kind of like, you know. And, and, and I say roller coaster ride, and Peter's up and down journey. Like, take this for example. In Mark 8, uh, Jesus and the disciples are sitting around, and Jesus is like, all right, guys, uh, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? What do you... What, who am I? And Peter's like, pick me. Pick me, Jesus. I know. I know who you are. And Jesus is like, okay, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Savior. And Jesus is like, good job, Peter. It's exactly right. You know who I am. And Peter's looking at the disciples like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I got that right. I got that right. I know who Jesus is. Yeah. Did you hear him? And you're like, good job. Yeah, Peter's pretty good. And then later on, Peter's way up here. He's like, I'm feeling good. Me and Jesus are we're tight. And then later on, you see a story of Jesus looking at Peter and looking him in the face and say, Peter, you're going to deny me three times coming up soon. You're going to deny knowing me. You're going to deny who I am. And, and Peter, Peter responds with, that's ridiculous, Jesus. That's just, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever do that? I would, I would go to prison for you. I would die for you, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. That's, that's ridiculous, we know how that played out, don't we? Later on, Peter is, the night Jesus is arrested, Peter's hanging out, and he denies Jesus three times. And somebody comes up to him and says, aren't you with Jesus? Don't you know who he is? And Peter goes, I don't know that guy. I don't know who he is. Jesus who? No, I don't know him. And then a little later, somebody comes back, and they're like, Peter, I'm pretty sure you were one of the guys with Jesus. And he goes, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. Third time. Peter gets a little angry, actually. He gets a little upset, and he's like, I don't know who he is. I don't know Jesus. I don't know, I've never been with him. I don't know who he is at all. How do you go from, I'll die for you, Jesus, to, I don't know him at all? That's crazy. That's what Peter did. That's what we do sometimes. I'll do anything you want, God. I'm here for you, God. You know, it's too hard. No, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. So we see in this story that we're going to tell next on, on John 21, and we're going to end here. And so Jesus has died on the cross. He's come back to life. 
and he's appeared a few times to the disciples here and there. He's, he's popped up here and there. And, and, and if you're Peter at this moment, you're walking along the beach one morning, and how do you feel? How do you feel if you're Peter? Man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I denied even knowing who he was. I love Jesus. Why would I do that? <laughs> and so he's like, you know what? I'm going fishing. So in John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Some of the disciples were with him, a few of them, and they said, we'll go with you too. And they went out on the boat on the lake, and they said, so they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing at all. Caught no fish all night. It's frustrating. Frustrating for Peter and the guys. No fish. And what I see here is Peter going back to where he's comfortable. Peter going back to where it's easy for him. He messed up. He still loves Jesus. He still, he still you know, wants to be where Jesus is. But he goes back to what's comfortable. Goes back to fishing. Goes back to what he knows. Goes back to where it's easy for him. He's like, I'll just go fish. I'll just go fish. I don't know what else to do. I can't. I denied Jesus. I messed up a little bit. And, and so I'm just going to go fish. I'm going to go take it easy and, and be comfortable out there where I know what's going on. So they're on the boat and they caught nothing. All of a sudden... The sun's coming up, and they see somebody on the beach. And they're like, what's this guy doing? And he yells at him. He's like, hey, guys, hey, over here on the beach, yeah, hey, how about you try the other side of the boat? Why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat and see if you catch any fish? And they're probably like, they've been out all night. They're tired. They're frustrated. They're like, what? Throw the net on the other side of the boat? But in Scripture, it says they did it. They threw the, threw the net on the other side of the boat, and... Uh, what happens? They catch so many fish, lots and lots of fish, fish coming out the net. And all of a sudden, John, it says in there, it says the disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, which is John, he writes, you know, and John said, that's Jesus. That's the Lord on the beach. That's Jesus. And Peter's getting the fish, and he stops, and he goes, that's Jesus? That's Jesus. And in this moment, if you're Peter, you flash back to Luke chapter 5, and the first time Jesus calls you to follow him, if you're Peter, we see the idea of, Peter's been fishing all night, and he caught nothing, and he comes back in, and he's clean his nets. He's like, that was a terrible night of fishing. That was terrible. And Jesus is, shows up, and he's like, hey, Peter, why don't you go back out and try again over here? Throw the net on the other side and catch some fish. And guess what? Same thing happened just like it just did just then. He caught a bunch of fish. And Peter sees this in his head at this moment, and he's like, it is Jesus. That is Jesus. I've seen this before. I've seen this happen before. Only one person can do that. And he's, he gets so excited, so flustered. He's like, Jesus is on the beach. Jesus is on the beach. What am I going to He puts his clothes on and he jumps in the water. Puts his clothes on and jumps. Who jump, puts their clothes on to jump in the ocean? I don't, Peter gets so flustered. He's so excited. He's like, I got to get to where Jesus is. And he starts swimming to the shore, swimming to where Jesus is. And other little fact in the Bible is John writes, you know, we were about 100 yards off the shore. And, and we pulled the net in and we brought the fish in. And 100 yards isn't very far. It's a football field. And I could just see Peter swimming to the shore and the disciples on the boat, like, passing him by. Like, well, he's crazy. <laughs> What's he doing? Hey, Peter, good luck. We'll see you at the shore. He was just so excited to get to Jesus. He didn't care about anything else. He didn't care what they thought of him. He didn't care what he looked like, flailing around off the boat, jumping in the water. He just wanted to get back to Jesus. And we get to the beach and we see this scene. And we see um, John 21, verse 9. It says this, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. And so this story takes a quick turn. Peter's excited. He's like, Jesus is here. And all of a sudden, he's like, 
what am I going to say? You know, he knows what I did. He knows what I denied, knowing who he was. He knows all these things. And you sit down, and one little cool thing about the scripture, charcoal fire, I saw this this week. And charcoal fire is only mentioned specifically one other place in scripture. And you'll never guess where they mentioned charcoal fire before. It's the night Jesus was arrested. And it says, Peter was warming himself by a charcoal fire as they came up to him and said, you were with Jesus. And he said, no, it wasn't me. Three times he said, I don't know Jesus. And he was by this charcoal fire. And, and, and Peter sits down on the beach now with Jesus. And he's got breakfast. And there's a, a charcoal fire. Takes him back. And he's like, oh, what did I do? Jesus is making breakfast. Jesus is making breakfast. He's, he's already, the other funny thing is, he says, Peter, Go get some fish uh, in verse 10, I think. It, it, bring some fish. You've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There was 150 large fish. You know, the net hadn't torn. And so he says, go get some fish and bring them to the fire. Funny thing is, Jesus already had fish. Lots of fish on the fire. Breakfast was ready. They were going to eat. I think it's because, you know, Jesus doesn't need, doesn't need us. Jesus doesn't need us. God doesn't need us for anything. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. God doesn't need you. Jesus says, bring some fish because he wants some. He wants you. He wants you to be part of, wants you to be part of his story. He wants you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. It's just looking at God and how he loves us in these three stories. It just still blows my mind about the lengths that God went to get you back. Not because he needed to, because he wanted to. And in the last part here, we'll close with this, this, this last part of John 21 in verse 15. We see this. After breakfast, awkward breakfast, by the way, right? Sitting with Jesus around the fire. Don't really know what to say. Sorry about that denying your whole thing, all that. Jesus, I don't Is that the conversation? What conversation was there? It's kind of awkward breakfast, but they do it. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I, I love you, he replies. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And the second time in verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know that I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. One more time, because three times. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus just says, then feed my sheep. What's Jesus talking about? Man, it's this person in the story. If Peter, you're in the story, you maybe you love Jesus. You've been going to church. You show up and you're here, but you get too comfortable sometimes. You go back to fishing. You go back to where it's comfortable, back to where it's easy because you mess up sometimes. You mess up. You, you had this thing that happened, and you're like, ah, I'm not good enough to really do anything else for God. He could never use me this way. Or, you know, I messed up too bad over here. Or you go back to what's comfortable. You go back to just coming to church, doing your thing, you know, coming to a few events, and you stay in this comfortable place where it's, it's just, you're just kind of there. You go back to fishing. And Jesus shows up and he says, I want you to go feed my sheep. Go take care of my sheep. Go feed my lambs, he says. And what's he telling Peter? We're not done yet, Peter. We still have stuff to do. We got things to take care of. Go love my people. 
go take care of people. Go love people. Go take care of my sheep. He says, maybe that's you in this story. Maybe, maybe you got too comfortable with God and you're just kind of hanging out on the side. And he's saying, we're not done yet. We got stuff to do. What's going to be next for you? What's next on our journey? Let's go. Stop fishing. Stop being comfortable over here. We got to go show people God's love. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's what God said to us. He said, whatever it takes, I'll buy you back. I'll throw you a party. I'll have breakfast with you. That's God's love. Fully on display. Maybe you're in Gomer's shoes. Maybe you know somebody that's in Gomer's shoes and you're just undesirable. And you, and, and, and you think, I've done too much bad. God would never love me like that. It's not true. You've, maybe you, you've taken another path and, and you're the screw-up son and you've messed up. And you're like, I, I got to work my way back. I got I to gotta work hard. I got to earn it. And God's like, you don't have to earn it. Just let me hold you. Just let me embrace you. Let me have this party for you. Maybe you're a Christian and you just got too comfortable. Peter, back to fishing. And Jesus is saying, we still have stuff to do. Because I love you, we can go do it together. I still want you. I still want to do these things with you in your life. And as the band's coming up. Wes is going to play a song. And just God's love restores. No matter what you think. God can restore anybody. And because we've been restored, some of us have already been restored by God. It means we're not done yet. God loves you. That's great. God's love is awesome. That's great. Who needs to hear that in your life? Who needs to hear about one of these stories in your Somebody in your life needs to hear about this. You know people. You know people that are far from God and they think, ah, oh, God would never love me. You got to you got to introduce him to Jesus. You're like, he bought you back. He paid for you. He wants you. You're worth it to him. Somebody at your job, somebody in your own family, somebody in your school, on your sports team. I don't know. One of your neighbors. They need to know about this type of love. Jesus says, what's next for you? Don't get too comfortable. Go take care of my people. Go feed the sheep. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you didn't leave us. You didn't abandon us. You actually came and, and chased us down and, and, and paid a high price to be with us, to prove that you love us that much. We can't mess up enough. We can't get too far gone. We can't be scared to come home. You just want to embrace us. You want to show us that love. And we need to show that love to other people. Thank you for giving us that opportunity. Thank you for calling us to that. Thank you for the idea of going and taking care of others and showing that love that you showed us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us. God.
Thanks, guys, for being here this morning. Uh, exciting times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.